0: Acts chapter 18 and uh, let's just read from verse 9 this morning it says then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision be not afraid but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to, to hurt thee for I have much people in this city let's open with a word of prayer to the Lord and the Father we thank you once again Lord that we can be together in this place, and to worship you in song, and, and Lord, to give thanks unto you for we've done. And Lord, we pray as we come round your word this morning, that Lord, you would speak to each of our hearts. You teach us through uh, the passage before us. You encourage us that you would uh, refresh us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now this morning as I speak. Lord, you would empower me through the Spirit. That it would indeed be your words and your thoughts. Lord, we would leave uh, this place singing your praises, giving all glory and honour back unto you. May you bless our time now as we consider your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you remember last Sunday morning, we started looking at Paul's ministry uh, here in the city of Corinth. Uh, and In particular, we saw how God encouraged Paul as he arrived in this new city. Okay? He's just come from the city of Athens. And we talked about the fact that probably as he's leaving Athens, he's feeling a little bit discouraged uh, because Athens wasn't exactly uh, the most prosperous place of ministry. If you like, uh, he didn't see <clears throat> excuse me, he didn't see great droves of people get saved, and so he's probably feeling a little bit discouraged. as He arrives in the city of Corinth, and uh, Corinth, as we said, was a, a, a city with a population of two hundred thousand people. It was a city known for its great wickedness, and He's probably feeling a bit daunted as well by the task that is before him. And so God in his providence sends uh, certain people along Paul's way to encourage Paul just when he needed it most. We saw how first of all the Lord sent some new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, to uh, encourage him. You know, gave him the opportunity to have a job, to, to work uh, in his trade as a tent maker. And they also allowed him to stay with them as well. So he had new friends, new companions here in Corinth. And then we saw that Silas and Timothy arrived, and and they arrived again just when Paul needed them most. They arrived with financial aid from the churches in Mesopotamia, in particular the church at Philippi. We talked about how that, that financial aid enabled Paul to dedicate himself fully to the ministry, give all his time to preaching and teaching. And then we saw that Paul was thrown out of the, uh, the synagogue, if you like. They rejected him. And so Paul left the synagogue, and by God's grace, once again, he found a new friend, Justice, who lived right next door. Okay, A, a god fearing Gentile named Justice opened up his home and said Paul could minister there. And so Paul set up his ministry right next door to the local synagogue. And We saw that through that ministry, as it was thriving and people were getting saved, one of those who got saved was Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. He came to the Lord in faith. And so, indeed, God used all of these people to encourage Paul. Okay? And they all came at uh, the right moment. Paul needed them. And God sent them along his path. God was definitely in control. God's providential care was upon his servants. But as we mentioned last week, God wasn't finished encouraging Paul. Okay, and So, if you like, this is the last couple of points of last week's sermon okay god wasn't finished encouraging paul the the lord himself now comes and gives to paul a a word of encouragement so the first point i want us to look at this morning is uh, god's word of assurance god's word of assurance let's just read verse 9 and 10 again it says then spake the lord to paul in the night by a vision be not afraid but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Now Luke here doesn't give us uh, many details, but we get the impression that between verse 8 and verse 9, uh, the situation in Corinth is escalating. Okay? The, the opposition is intensifying. Now, If you read verse 8 again, it says, "...in Christmas the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house," And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And then verse nine it says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid. Now Paul doesn't need those words from the Lord unless things are intensifying, okay, unless something is taking place here. You know, we can imagine how the unbelieving Jews must have felt to see their ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, leave and go and join Paul next door. You can imagine that they are not happy. You can imagine that they are uh, quite upset with Paul and his ministry. And on top of that, Paul's ministry is gathering momentum. Okay? It's not just that Crispus has gotten saved. The end of verse 8 tells us that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So there's many now coming to the Lord. There's many getting saved and they're getting baptized. This local church is fast becoming established here in Corinth. Okay? It's going forward. For the Lord. And so the Jews are becoming increasingly agitated against Paul. And no doubt they're furious with Paul's success and they're seeking to silence him any way they could. You know, we've seen many times already in the book of Acts how the Jews in various different cities reacted when Paul began to get some success. Just turn back to Acts chapter 14. In particular, we see what happened at Lystra. Acts chapter 14 and just read with me verse 19 it says and there came thither certain jews from antioch and iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned paul drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead here we are at lystra and if you remember the the jews followed him from antioch and iconium and they came and they stirred up trouble and they basically stoned paul to death they thought he was dead when they'd finished they left him on the ground they thought he was finished You see, that's how quick things escalated in these cities. When Paul began to have success, the unbelieving Jews quickly opposed him to the point even at Lystra of stoning him to death. And so this seems to be what's happening now in Corinth, okay? He's getting a bit of traction. The ministry is now going forward. Souls are getting saved. The church is growing. And so the situation is becoming dangerous for Paul, okay? Uh, Paul may have even been considering leaving the city, and moving on, you know, um, you know, moving on just when things are starting to you know, get good. Okay, Paul may have been considering that it's time to leave, as he had in other cities. And you know, that's when God comes to Paul and he gives him these words of encouragement. You see, these come just when Paul needs them most. Exactly like all the friends arrived in the providence of God at the right time, at the right moments, these words from the Lord came at the right moment as well exactly when Paul needed them. And so the Lord himself this time comes and encourages Paul. Gives him these words of encouragement, words of assurance. We're told here in verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. God comes to him and says, Don't be afraid. Stand up and boldly preach the truth. Don't hold back. The Lord says to Paul, be not afraid or fear not. You know, these, those words there, be not afraid, they immediately imply to us that Paul is afraid. You know, that's why the Lord comes and says this to him. You know, as Paul is looking at the opposition that's coming against him, he's fearing that his time in Corinth is coming to an end. You know, he's fearing that he's going to have to leave this, this new church that he's established, that he's going to get chased out of town. He's fearing the opposition. And that he'll be forced to move on. You know, often I think we we look at men like Paul and others in the, the Word of God and we sort of see them as being somehow super Christians, don't we? That, you know, they were never afraid to declare the word. That somehow they were never affected by opposition. But the reality is that Paul was just like the rest of us. He's just a man. Just a man. And Paul, like the rest of us, is beginning to feel the opposition and feel affected by it. Perhaps he's feeling a little discouraged, a little worried about what's going to happen to these believers if he gets forced out of town. Things are on his mind. And right on cue, the Lord arrives and he says to Paul, be not afraid. These are the same words that the Lord spoke to many others of his servants down through the ages. Yeah, you go through the word of God and you see this phrase spoken to his servants in numerous passages. Just think about a couple of them. Genesis 15 verse 1, God told Abraham, he said, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The context of that verse is in chapter 14, Abraham has just rescued Lot okay, from, from the army and he's defeated a, a large confederate army in the process. And so Abraham is probably fearing retribution fearing that they're going to come up now against him. And what does God do? God comes to him and he says, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield. The Lord comes to him exactly when Abraham needed him and says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Similar words were spoken to, uh, to Joshua by the Lord when he took up the mantle of leadership after Moses. In Joshua 1 verse 9, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, with us thou goest. Again, Joshua, he's just taken up the, the mantle of leadership. He's now the, the leader of Israel. And he has the, the daunting task of taking them across the Jordan River and leading them in conquering the land of Canaan. It's a daunting task. It is something that he quite, quite easily could have been fearful about. And once again, what does God do? He comes and comforts his servant with these words fear not. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. Sorry, I need to turn the stand on. I'm going to die up here. <laughs> right. Comes and says to him, fear not. You know, we could go on and we could read numerous passages like this. You know, in Genesis 26, he comes to Isaac and he says, fear not. In Genesis 46, he comes to Jacob and says, fear not. In Daniel chapter 10, he tells Daniel, fear not. In the New Testament, he says to Mary, when she finds out that she's she's with the, the Lord Jesus, with child, he comes to him, and, comes to her and says, fear not, in Luke chapter 1. He comes to Peter in Luke 5, and he says, fear not. You know, if you do a little search there in Esau or one of your Bible programs of fear not and don't be afraid, the amount of times that phrase comes up connected to God is over about 30 or so the lord continually does this for his servants and then at other times it's said by his prophets to his people you see that the lord constantly comes and says these words of comfort to his people when they're afraid when they're they're in the midst they're facing something facing great opposition god comes and gives them these wonderful words and they're very simple isn't it but don't be afraid fear not. It's the case here for the Apostle Paul. Right when he needed the encouragement most, the Lord arrives and the Lord says, you have nothing to fear. And then in verse 10, he tells him why you don't have to fear. He says in verse 10 there, for I am with thee. He says, fear not because I'm with you. You know, that's enough, isn't it? The presence of the Lord is enough to dispel any fear, any fear that we have. You know, the Jews at this, at this time are probably seeking to harm Paul. They're becoming increasingly agitated against him, but Paul is reminded God is with him. God's on his side. And so with God with him, he doesn't have any reason to be afraid of anyone. You know, Paul himself would later write in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, those wonderful words, if God before us, who can be against us? Paul learnt this, didn't he? He learnt this wonderful truth. If God's on my side... What have I got to be afraid of? What have I got to be scared of? Indeed, you know, that's the wonderful reality for all of us as believers, isn't it? You know, the Lord is with us. He's with us, and so we have nothing to fear. You know, because he's with us, we can, indeed, as he tells Paul here, we can stand and boldly preach. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. We can stand and boldly preach the truth because God is with us. And the Lord has spoken these same words of encouragement and comfort to us in, the whole, in his holy word. Go to Hebrews 13. We know these verses, but <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God is with me, so I will not fear. It's the same promise, isn't it? God says, I won't forsake you, so you have nothing to fear. We can go and read Isaiah 41 verse 10, where Isaiah makes the same declaration. That if God is with us, we have nothing to fear. You see, with the presence of God going before us, that's enough, isn't it? We don't need anything else. We just need that one thing, that one uh, blessed truth. God is with us. You know, David, he wrote in the Psalms about the power of the presence of God. Just go to Psalm 97 with me. <clears throat> Psalm 97 and verse 5, it says this, The hills melted like wax at the presence of Of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The presence of God is powerful. The whole earth, he says, melted like wax at the presence of God. Psalm 114 and verse 7 as well. Just turn over there. Psalm 114 and verse 7 says, Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. You see, the point is, the presence of God is powerful. God is there, our omnipotent God is there, and he is powerful, he is able to dispel any fear. And God has promised that he will never leave us. Indeed, they're words of comfort, aren't they? God has promised to never leave us, and so his presence is with us, and with his presence there, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. As we read on in verse 10, we see that Paul is not only encouraged by the presence of God, but God also gives him here a promise reading verse 10 it says for i am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for i have much people in this city the lord gives him a promise the lord gives him the assurance that as he continues to minister here in corinth no one's going to hurt him he says and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee paul's given the promise that his life is not in danger here i think it's important we notice that The Lord didn't promise Paul that he wouldn't be opposed. You see that? He didn't say, Paul, you're not going to face any opposition. No, he was going to face opposition. But God says you're not going to be harmed. You're not going to be hurt. And along with that promise that he would not be harmed, Paul is also given the promise that the work is not going to be stopped by that opposition. As he says at the end of the verse, for I have much people in this city. See, although the work was being opposed, and it was tough, okay? it, was a, it was a hard slog for Paul. God gives him two promises here, doesn't he? He says, you're not going to be harmed, and I have more people who need to get saved. The work is going to be successful. God promises Paul. He basically says, Paul, it's going to be worth it all. Many more are going to come to the Lord here in Corinth. And so he gives him this twofold promise. It's one of protection... And it's one of success, isn't it? Protection and also success in the ministry. You know, we likewise can be sure that when we are in the will of God, when we're walking in obedience to Him, He will protect us and He will give us success in the work He's given us to do. Now, that doesn't mean that opposition won't come. Opposition will come. And as we said last week, the fact that opposition comes tells us that satan's not happy that we're doing something for the lord and so opposition will come we can be sure of that but when that opposition comes god will protect us god will enable us to carry on in the ministry and be successful for him you see anything that does happen to us is in accordance with god's plan isn't it you know if if like some of the martyrs down through the ages we end up losing our life for christ well that's because god allowed it to happen isn't it because our our ministry was finished our task was complete so the lord called us home we've got to understand that you see we are invincible if you like while we're in the will of god and god's not finished with us we just keep pressing on the world can't touch us until god says they can and then it's for his glory We've got to understand that. We've got to understand that wonderful truth that we are protected by God. God is protected. God is going before us. And he will give us success, not worldly success, not financial success. No, success in his ministry and service for him as we seek to serve him. In Joshua chapter 1, just turn over there. We read verse 9 earlier. but The verse before that, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. In Joshua 1, verse 8, the Lord says to Joshua, He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You now, Joshua is given a very similar promise, isn't he? A promise of success. As he is walking in the will of the Lord, as he spends time in God's word and he walks in obedience to God's word, what does God say? I'll make your way prosperous and I'll give you success. The same is true for us. If we're walking in obedience to his will, nothing can happen to us that God doesn't allow. And we will be successful for him because our God is with us and we have nothing to fear. We see secondly here this morning that God now keeps his word. God has given Paul this word of assurance, and now God keeps his word. Let's read from verse 11. It says, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, uh, uh, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul, and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong and or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Galileo cared. For none of those things. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that as we read on in the passage, God keeps his word, should it? Of course God's going to keep his word. God is faithful. But God keeps his promise here that he made to Paul. First of all, in verse eleven we see that he keeps that promise of success. You see in verse eleven we read, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul continues his ministry now after this. His promise from God, he continues his ministry in Corinth for 18 months. You see, Paul believed the promise of God, didn't he? When God gave him this word of assurance, Paul then believed it and Paul grabbed hold of that promise and he kept going faithfully forward, continued faithfully in the work. And during these 18 months of ministry, Paul saw God bless. Paul saw God give him success. He saw souls come to the Lord and the church is growing spiritually you know this 18 month period was longer than he'd spent in any of the other churches that he'd started in all the other places he'd been to he had not stayed this long in a church that he'd started you know this is strong indication of the success that he's having here isn't it you know god comes to him right when he feels like he's gonna have to flee right when he feels like it's time that he's got to move on and the lord says no stay preach i'll give you success and for 18 months, he keeps ministering, and God blesses. God gives him success here. You know, the end of the verse, verse 11 there makes it clear that this success was not just new souls. It's also the discipleship of the believers, isn't it? He says, teaching the word of God among them. So it's not just that new souls are coming to the Lord. No, it's also Paul is having the opportunity to disciple them, to disciple these ones who've gotten saved. See, Paul spent time teaching them, instructing them in the truths of God's word, the the doctrinal foundations of God's word, endeavouring to give them a a strong foundation to stand upon. I think it's important we understand that Paul wasn't some breeze in and breeze out evangelist. That's not what Paul was. Paul's ministry was to go to a place, start a church, and to make disciples, to, to disciple them in the truth. And indeed, God kept his promise here. The work is going forward. It's having success. Paul is able to keep ministry. And then in verse 12 through to 17, we see that God keeps the second part of his promise. The second part is fulfilled as well as God now protects him. You see, God said that no harm would come to him as he ministered in Corinth and God keeps his word. Paul is divinely protected. You read verse 12, it says, When Gileo was made deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Verse 12 tells us that there's a new deputy or a new pro-council named Gileo. He's appointed over the province of Achaia. And Corinth is the capital city. We talked about that, if you remember, when we looked at Corinth. So Corinth is the capital city, so this new deputy, this new proconsul, comes to town. And according to historical sources, he became the pro-council in July of AD 51. Okay, so that gives us a time frame here, doesn't it? it tells us when the, these events occurred. Okay, around AD 51. And the Jews, they saw this appointment of Galileo as an opportunity to deal with Paul. Their hope was that this new deputy, this new pro-council would proclaim Paul's ministry as illegal. And so we see that they arrest Paul, they they bring him before Galia and they accuse him of teaching men to worship God contrary to the law. Just read verse uh, 12. Again, there it says, when Galia was made deputy of Achaia, uh, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuadeth men... To worship God contrary to the law. And so this was an accusation that Paul is breaking Roman law. That's really what they're accusing him of here. You see, we've talked about it earlier on in the book of Acts, but um, with with the Romans, religions had to be approved by Roman law. Okay, it had to be approved by Roman law for it to be taught. Otherwise, it was deemed illegal. And that's the accusation here. They're bringing against Paul. They're accusing him of teaching a religion that's illegal. We've seen them accuse Paul of this previously. Go back to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16, verse 19. It says, And when their master, her masters saw that their hope of their gains was gone, they brought Paul and Silas and Drew into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Uh, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. If we have received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in stocks. So here we see them. Um, they're, they're brought before the magistrates, and this same accusation, they're teaching something that's not lawful for us as Romans to receive. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6 and 7. Uh, we'll start in verse 5. It says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the base sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out unto the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying that these have turned, sorry, these These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. So again, you've got the Jews this time. They drag them before the rulers, and they accuse them of teaching something that is contrary to the Roman law. Okay, You see, on each occasion, the the desire by this accusation is that the, the rulers, the magistrates, or in this case here, it's the the deputy, the pro-council, the the desire is that they would deem Paul's religion as being illegal. And they would deal with it, put a stop to it once and for all. In verse 14 here, we see that Paul now, he gets ready to defend himself. As he's done on various occasions, he's getting ready to open his mouth and to, I'm sure, give a great exposition on the the Christian faith and on, on the Lord Jesus, as he does every time before he can speak, Galileo defends him. Verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. Now, Paul's about to open his mouth and defend himself. And what happens? The new pro the new deputy, stands up and he defends Paul. He defends Paul. You see, Gileo's he's not blind to what the jews are up to he's not blind he knows that you know really the issue here is not an application of roman law really it's a an internal squabble okay of the jewish religion basically he understands that he understands that they're just trying to get paul stopped from teaching his alternate view if you like when it comes to um, the jewish religion and so he saw that it was an internal quarrel about religion that the Jews needed to deal with themselves. And so he refuses to try the case. He throws it out of court, basically. Read verse 14 again. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no, no judge of such matters. He throws it out of court. He says, I'm not going to be a judge. When it comes to your religion, I'm not going to judge things about words and who said what. I'm not going to judge that. If it's not against Roman law, I want nothing to do with it. He's not going to play their mind games. In verse 16, it tells us that he draved them from the judgment seat. It gives almost the impression he sets his guards upon them. He says, push them out. I don't want any more to do with them. I'm not going to listen to their complaints any further. Now, before we go any further, God's the one who does this, isn't it? God is in control here. God promised Paul he would not be harmed. And God fulfills that here. God divinely protects him. And the the deputy stands up and defends Paul and throws the accusations out of courts. God protects Paul. God took care of Paul here. We see that this wasn't the end of the matter. In verse 17 we read on, it says, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. Verse 17 tells us what happens immediately following this. As the Jews are being driven back, pushed out, the Greeks who witness all this, they grab hold of a man named Sosthenes and they beat him before the proconsul Now Sosthenes, it says here, is the ruler of the synagogue. So he's the man who has replaced Crispus as the ruler of the synagogue here in Corinth. And so that means that he's one of the ones who's dragged Paul before uh, the pro-council here. He's one of the ones who's led that group of Jews, bringing Paul before the, the pro-council Gallio, and has accused Paul before this man. He's one of the leaders. And so instead of Paul being beaten for what he's teaching, Sosthenes, now is grabbed and beaten instead. And you know what Gallio does? It says in verse 17, he cared for none of these things. He just turns away and doesn't care. Turns a blind eye towards, you know. You could say this is blatant anti-Semitism, couldn't you? And he ignored it. He ignored it. He looked the other way. Turn over with me to First Corinthians chapter one, and verse one. <clears throat> In First Corinthians chapter one and verse one, it says, "Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, under Sosthenes, our brother." highly likely that these are the two same the same man. Sosthenes it seems came to the Lord after this event. Sosthenes as a result of that beating sometime afterwards comes to the Lord in faith. Now if indeed they are the same person then the Jews have to find yet another ruler for their synagogue don't they? Yet another one has to replace him. You know it would be interesting to know how he got saved wouldn't it? You know you can imagine that Paul and the other Jews who got and saved, they're visiting him as he's wounded, they're visiting him on his, on his bed there, maybe dressing his wounds, showing him Christian love, turning him to Christ. I'm not told how he gets saved, but what a blessing it is to read his name there. That how he is one of, the, one of the members of the church at Corinth. You see, the Lord used that horrific event to his glory, didn't he? God used it all to his glory. You see, indeed, how wonderful are the providences of God. You know, the unbelieving Jews, they tried to force the Roman governor to declare the Christian faith illegal. But instead, Galileo stands up and does the complete opposite. And by refusing to try the case, Galileo makes it clear that Rome is not going to get involved in disputes about the Jews' religion. You see, as governor of the region, he speaks for Rome. This is more than just your local magistrates. This is actually the governor of Achaia this is the main man in charge he's speaking on behalf of Rome and as far as he is concerned Paul and his companions have just as much rights to practice and to preach their faith the Christian faith as the Jews you know this decision gives Paul and indeed other believers protection to preach the gospel for years to come Uh, some commentators have read this week said for 10 to 15 years after this Christians have protection from Rome. Now we know eventually Rome turns against the Christians and they end up being persecuted. But for now, from this decision onwards, there is this protection from Rome to those who preach the gospel. Now, God gave Paul a wonderful word of assurance didn't he, in verse 9 and 10. Be not afraid. I'm with you. I'll protect you and I'll give you success. And God kept his word you know we likewise can be sure that god will keep his word to us god's not going to fail us he's not going to he promised i'll never leave thee nor forsake thee he's not going to forsake us he's not going to leave us god will keep his promise and because he's with us we know he will enable us protect us and give us success as we seek to serve him you see like paul what we need to do is grab hold of that promise and believe it by faith Then. Grab hold of it, believe it by faith, and press forward in our service for him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word once again. We thank you, Lord, that you do indeed encourage your servants, you encourage us, Lord, with promises. Lord, promises that you will not forsake us, and that because you're with us, we have nothing to fear. Lord, we know that like Paul, Lord, you go before us, You will protect us and you will give us success as we lay with you in the ministry. Lord, help us, Lord, this week to go forth with this wonderful knowledge. Help us not to fear as we stand and we we tell others about you. Help us to be bold in the declaration of our faith. And may you bless as we we go forward for you as a church as well in this place. And pray these things in Jesus' name.